All right, welcome back into OGP. It's the One Giant Podcast. As you know, we are your host over here, Adam Armbrecht, over there, Andy Makowitz. And the off season continues, my friends, where we hope that you are healthy, wealthy, and wise. I'm doing all right, Adam. Listen, yesterday, first time back at a movie theater since pre-pandemic for me. Movie was absolutely terrible, but it was kind of nice to like, sit back, reclining couch, just like not be on your phone for a couple hours. I got to say, I, I didn't realize how much I missed it until you're there eating, you know, clarified butter all over or whatever popcorn they're selling you. So Top Gun Maverick did not pay off. Understood. Understood. No, it was the it was yeah. the Northman with Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, that was and... bad. We can't get too far afield here, but that was bad. Darn. Uh, it, it was it wasn't as good as you'd expect. You're like Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman. You're like, I'm in on this thing. And then all of a sudden it there was just like weird sorcery and yeah, you know, all this different stuff. So, yes, oh, well, not not the best. We'll, we'll talk about it later. If any OGP listeners are interested, I'll go through a full I could do a full breakdown of the movie at some point, too. And that's 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 Andy Makowitz goes to the movies. That'll be the, the the upcoming podcast that you can check out as well. On the Giants side of things, obviously the mini camp for the rookies took place. We have a couple like notes and quotes. I think that there we said how much are you going to learn here? The first thing I'll just say right off the bat is apparently Andy, I've been five eleven this entire time because uh, you get in there and this happens every single year. You see Wandell Robinson. We're going to talk about a couple of the guys here and some takeaways quotes from uh, Coach Dable and then and then some of the players as well. But you know he's five eight. Like that that that's what he was as a prospect. It's what he's been his entire collegiate career. And then they come in and like the Giants are like, hey, five eleven. In case anyone's wondering. And then you see him on the field. Like he's small. Like I don't know who is it for. Is it for the player? Like is it for is it for Wandell Robinson to feel taller because otherwise like we all see it and it doesn't matter. Like if he's good, he's good. Right. They're, they're like saying, you know, people are saying he's even five, eight with shoes on. Like he could be even smaller than that. You know, never mind five eleven. You know what it is? It's one of those things where the smaller, you know, you're listed at, at size and weight, the more they think it's just a pure gadget player or someone that can't be a full rounded right. NFL player. So you give him a couple inches. I don't think he cares. I don't think anyone really cares. I, if you're an agent, you you probably care more than anyone. You're like, make this guy seem like he's uh, cut from the stone of Zeus or whatever it's going to be, <laughs> yeah. right? But uh, you know, w- the one thing I did realize seeing Wandale out there, one, he, he's he's very small when when yeah. you see him playing, but his ability to like be agile in small spaces and his like quick, you know, they call, call say quick twitch stuff like that. He can get in and out of routes so fast that he's going to cause problems. For a lot of, you know, if you try to put a nickel cornerback on him or he gets matched up against a linebacker, forget about it in space. Oh, of course. Listen, it, that's what you like to see is just that this translates, right? Whatever the traits are. And we're not saying that you get it from the rookie minicamp and seeing this guy catch wobbly lame ducks from uh, Joe Shane out there on the field, who clearly once was a quarterback, um, but Wait, is now a GM. Was that of a Tua or team. Joe Shane? Which, which one <laughs> yes, was it? One is an NFL quarterback. One is an NFL quarterback. One is the general manager of a team. Right. And one, yeah, one will be trying out for the Miami Dolphins later. So we'll see if uh, if Shane makes the cut or not. Um, but the other so the other guys, let's start from the top down here, because we just saw the rookies, uh, obviously, Neil Thibodeau. Those are the guys at the top of the draft class. And one thing that I found interesting before we get to some undrafted free agents, interesting takeaways was. You went back and looked, and you can talk about how Thibodeau's saying all the right things. He's being regarded as like already like being called the class clown. He's light. He's goofy. Everyone seems engaged with him. All good, right? And and Neil wants to just do whatever he needs to. But the one thing that I did find interesting about previous draft picks. So let's start with 
Neil, uh, let's start with Thibodeau because this one might be like kind of, hey, you know what this tells you is that the position can be pretty strong if you're drafting in the top 10. This is by PFF grades as far as it goes. Over the last uh, top 10 edge rushers since 2017 in the NFL, it has Miles Garrett, you have Solomon Thomas, Radley Chubb, Nick Bosa, right? Uh, Farrell's going to be on there, Josh Allen, and then also Chase Young. Every single one of them now, today, have PFF grades outside of Solomon Thomas that are all pretty solid. Like you get an 86 by Miles Garrett. He's just been ever, ever growing as a top prospect. Yeah. Even a player like Nick Bosa, we know that. Uh, Josh Allen, 72, so like maybe a little bit lower, but he's been fairly consistent and gotten better year by year. Chase Young, again, only two years in, but he has an 81, saw a bit of a drop-off in year number two. The two outliers, I guess, would be Farrell, who had an absolute disastrous year number three and had the kind of up-and-down roller coaster so far. And the other one is Solomon Thomas, who grades as a 52. When you see that many, it's you know two out of seven names, and now we're throwing mm-hmm. in another player for us, obviously, in Thibodeau, does it make you relatively more confident that, hey, more often than not, these guys are hits? Because if you are athletic, if you have the strength and a complement of skills, it tends to almost, more often than not, translate pretty successfully to the NFL. You know, the first thing that came to my mind is not necessarily translation of success, but remember how upset everyone was at the Giants for winning meaningless games and taking themselves out of the Chase Young sweeps, uh, sweepstakes back in the day? They're like, no, we don't want the Giants to win. We want them to tank for better picks so we could get Chase Young. It's like, I don't know. If you fast forward two years and you tell me instead we got Andrew Thomas and Kayvon Thibodeau, I'd be you 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 got to have a little bit of a longer lens when you think about this. It's making me start to get less frustrated about missing out on one particular player or one particular piece because there's so many different ways to construct a roster. So that's the first thing that came in, into my mind when you mentioned that. But the second is it seems like there are a few positions where if you're drafting them in the top 10 because of talent or production or traits or whatever it may be that you're selecting that guy, chances of success are pretty high. That you know, quarterback is one of those where everyone reaches, and we've talked about this before, even in the pre-draft stuff. Quarterback's really hard because he may not be a top 10 talent in terms of that, but the need is so great for a lot of these teams that they're going to go up and get this guy high in the first round or whatever it may be. So for me, it's it's a little bit of a challenge when you talk about that, Adam, because you know, d- defensive end, a little bit of uh, you know, it looks like some of the cornerbacks are pretty good up that high. But really, defensive end and tackle seem to be the two where if you draft them in the top 10, you feel pretty good about the chances of their success. No, 100%. And the other side of that then is because that's basically that's everything I want to lay out, Andy, and maybe even a little bit more. Um, The other side of it then is is talking about Andrew Thomas for the New York football Giants from a couple of years ago and now adding in a player like Evan Neal. Because when you look over at those numbers, um, it – the contrast here is you only get four names, and that's going to be McGlinchey, Andrew Thomas, uh, Wills, and then Penny Sewell. These are offensive tackles, not including offensive linemen overall. Now, inside of this draft class, guys seem to be getting better for the most part, but 73, 70, 64, 77. If you're wondering, yes, uh, Andrew Thomas is third on that list, although he has basically equal with McGlinchey in terms of best PFF grade. I want to ask you a question. like. Here's the real question that I want to get to on the Andrew Thomas piece, honestly. I think you can be more confident in these players. It's a smaller sample size. We already heard about, uh, obviously, talking with Walter Cherapinski, the the big player. Although, I'll, I'll put it this way. Seeing you know, Evan Neal does not look like a large, big offensive lineman in the sense that 
he's just out there trotting around. Like he doesn't look like a lumbering big body, but here was the question. I'll put this in the, in the framework of the season. Cause I, I had this thought the other day. He looks really good. Okay, great. And we're excited about bookend tackles. Do you have any concern that Andrew Thomas had success in year number two when no one else could play offensive line for them? As in the defenses were going to attack everywhere else other than Andrew Thomas, right? We'll take on uh, Nate Solder on the other side. We'll attack up the gut. Mm. We'll take on the eighth string center here on this roster, and we'll allow one-on-one coverage with Andrew Thomas and try to expose weaknesses elsewhere. Do you worry about this flipping back the other way now where they're going to be playing uh, one-on-one coverage maybe against Neil and then saying, let's go back and attack Andrew Thomas because even on paper as prospects, Neil would be, I think, the stronger one if these guys came out in the same class. Good question. I like where your head is at on that. My, I have a counter argument to that, which makes me not have as much concern. Okay. And that is, well, think about all the players that Andrew Thomas was playing with and think about how much he had to make up for Will Hernandez playing next to him early on in the season or Shane Lemieux being next to him. Like it wasn't just, I have one guy, I need to focus on this and I just can do my job in a vacuum. There's so many different schemes and stunts and polls and things that are happening on the offensive line where Andrew Thomas isn't just isolated on an Island. So think about the success that he had while all four other positions across the offensive line were ostensibly pretty bad. So for me, I think that you do bring up a good point that they probably targeted the Nate Solder, Matt Pert side of the field because Will Hernandez was over there too. And they, and they were just like, why go against him? But also at the same time, if you're an edge rusher and you like to play on the right side of the edge, you know, these guys are, are are big alpha males that they, they want to go against the best. They want to be on the side. They think that they're, you know, if I'm a right edge rusher, I don't want to be moved over to the left. You're not telling me that Andrew Thomas is better than me. So I, I'm curious to see how many times that actually happened where they'd move Chase Young or a Nick Bosa or whoever away from Andrew Thomas to avoid him altogether. Yeah, it'll be that, that's a very fascinating. And we'll go back and take a look at some of the tape on it too and say, like, how do these matchups develop and where do we see double teams potentially come as we get into the season? Obviously, that's a little bit further away, but a quick footnote just on Evan Neal was there's a lot of things he's going to have to learn. This is Brian Dable speaking to him and keep building on. He's a mature young guy. He's played a lot of different spots, and that's going to help him in understanding. So Evan Neal, we think, is going to be as close to hit the ground running type of prospect, unlike maybe Andrew Thomas, right, where we said, we like him. We believe in him. But we, even you and I, like we liked the pick and thought it might take a little bit of time. Didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was in his rookie year, but it might take some time to get there. I expect it to be a little bit quicker, a little bit crisper uh, for Evan Neal. From this rookie mini camp, let's go on the defensive side here, and then I'll come back. Because you said you had an, an undrafted free agent that stood out to you. I wonder if it ends up being the same player, essentially. But I was curious about the secondary because we talked about that so much. We know that Cordell Flott is out there. Maybe you have thoughts on him. But Dane Belton, when he was asked about what, what you know, what are the expectations you're coming into camp, I like that he said, being that the safeties kind of kind of run the defense in Wink's system, trying to be able to make calls fast and efficient, make sure everyone's in the same page, just trying to be mentally strong. When you think about the idea of like if Dane Belton's going to have an impact, and it can extend to Cordell Flott too. But I think specifically the safety position, it's like learning, and this is true of every rookie, right? But like, if you want to make an impact, especially in Wink's system, if you can be a signal caller on this defense, which Belton did at college, if you can translate that to the pro level, 
Well, now you do elevate what your ability is here, right? And it goes for Yusuf Corker, too, who's going to be the undrafted safety that's in camp with the Giants. Like, that's step number one. And it, it, it's certain positions, it's less about some of your innate ability and your skill set as everyone's talent at the NFL level and more the mental side of it. Like, can you recognize from deep at the safety position where everyone's supposed to be and make those adjustments on the fly? As we've seen over the years, young players and the Giants have suffered this Suddenly, two or three players in the defense kind of meandering around a pre-snap and not really sure where they're supposed to be. So is that Belton's best path, you think, to, to having significant playing time, let alone started, but just being a contributor? Yeah, I mean, listen, I know that Dame Belton was drafted and Yusuf Corker was not drafted, but I kind of put them in the same boat. Everything that you're yes. hearing about Yusuf well. Corker, like he has a perfect opportunity to be able to make this roster the same way that Belton does. And I thought it was fascinating what Belton said about in wings defense being kind of that quarterback out there making sure you you know everything that's going on you mm -hmm. you may say well that's pretty much every defensive safety right like you're supposed to sit back there and do that but the reason why it's so important in wink martindale's system is because he does like to play a lot of cornerbacks you know throw you know throw them all up at the line give exotic looks but usually we talk about how they like to play cover one. Sometimes you're the only safety back there, right? And right. so you need to be able to survey the field very quickly. They, you know, they only play cover two if there's injuries and different things like that. Cover one is, is Wink's specialty. If you're the one safety or defensive back all the way back there, you really do have to be able to diagnose things because he likes to bring pressure. He likes to bring it from all angles. You'll have to know where you are. I think it's, it, I, the safety position is going to be fascinating. Adam, the, you know, outside of the the draft picks and undrafted uh, free agents, you and I have talked about Julian Love potentially being a, mm. a cap casualty, and we we said you know they could save a couple of million against the cap if they don't think that he's the guy. But you have other players saying, and you know Alex Bachman was yeah, one yeah. that came came out uh, yesterday yeah. and was like, "You don't understand how much of a consummate professional Julian Love is. He comes to work. He's a leader. He's like." He's a, he's a man of men. Like he is the guy that we want there. And you, and I kind of, I messaged you off to the side. I'm like, do we get this wrong? Is Julian love way more important to this secondary than you and I are giving him credit for? Well, I try to go back to, so there's two pieces. I try to, I try to cast my mind back to when they drafted him. And we know I was a really big fan of him coming out. And I think kind of in the way we're talking about, well, what does Dane Belton need to accomplish to be a contributor? I, I think those were the things at the time that I liked in Julian love. I thought that he was probably a smarter football player than he was a naturally gifted football player. So in that regard, that can pay off for you in the long term. Um, do I think, you know, if the money can work out and they can keep him, do I understand why you would? He's also a special teams contributor, of course. Like, none of this is to say that I think that Julian Love is a terrible player, but it was always it's always the money piece. And then just what does Yusuf Corker look like? What does Dane Belton look like? What does Cordell Flott look like? Does, you know, is Darnay Holmes still on this roster, right? It then becomes about, are you going to bring in a veteran? How, how do those things pan out? <laughs> the other thing I'll say is, so I'd be happy to be wrong if he's a contributor. I always like when Giants stay Giants longer. It just, it, it makes me feel like the, the organization has done something right, even if it was under a bad regime. Um, <laughs> the one thing I'll say is, when it's, when it's Alex Bachman saying it, like, good for you, Alex Bachman. But also, like, this isn't, you know, even like it isn't Daniel Jones. It's not Leonard Williams. It's not Xavier McKinney, right? Like these would be the voices and not, not just because they're offensive or defensive guys, but you want to hear guys that you look at and go, well, I know that this dude's here. This guy's here for the long haul. Alex Bachman might not be on this roster, right? So when sometimes it depends on like where the voicing of support comes from that lends credence to it. Although again, we know it is, it is a long off season process and we'll see it. And I was, 
pleasantly surprised to hear that when you when you sent me the notification around it because it is like okay that means that he does have a that's another part of his role he's a special teams contributor he's a little versatile on defense in the secondary and maybe he is a bit of a leader here uh, I couldn't agree more. And uh, there's a, there's an interesting name. There's been a couple articles that have come out on, on the defensive side of the ball. I know that's where you wanted to go to first. But I mean, have you have you been hearing or or reading a, a bit about Tom and Fox at North Carolina? I mean, it seems like uh, you know the Giants have basically taken anyone that graduated from the University of North Carolina and they've brought them into camp. I don't know if we're like tra okay. traveling or translating, but it, you know Tom and Fox. The story is, you know, Lawrence Taylor being, you know, University of North Carolina has taken him a little bit under his wing and they have a, a little bit of a relationship. I mean, is there is that something that you've been thinking about? Was that top of mind for you? I, I what I what I really thought was because there's a handful of names in the undrafted class in that linebacker room. I what my takeaway was you're putting a lot of bodies in there, right? And it made me think about guys that I'm a fan of, like Carter Coughlin, right? Or like, and then even top of the roster this past couple seasons, like a guy like Tate Crowder, right? TJ Brunson. I think that just from a scheme standpoint, there's a different type of player that Wink Martindale wants inside of that linebacker group and edge, and edge rusher, excuse me. So it's why you're seeing so many names put into this mix here. And listen, any if you think that someone is going to take you under their wing and who has a real pedigree and who has a real history with the Giants organization. It can't be a bad thing. All the reports are is that like, he looks like he has the right size, the right measurables, the right ability, the quickness, the athleticism, right? I don't know where that puts him in the hierarchy of the depth chart, but I do know that as we talked about before, there are six names on the back end of every position group across this entire roster that are here that are holdovers that you go, well, maybe Fox just took your spot here to whatever that role is going to be, but Fox has carved out a niche for himself. I'd like to think so, and this is where Joe Shane went as well uh, on his college visits, right? He was there in person. It's where they got their offensive tackles from. Now you're picking up extra bodies here. It does feel like a one-to-one -one about what the team, Joe Shane and the scouting department, felt comfortable about committing to. Uh, so Tom and Fox ended up with 30 sacks at the University of North Carolina. Only a, a half, yeah. only a half sack behind one. Uh, Julius Peppers name, name that, that will probably, I, I don't know if he's up for the hall of fame yet, or if, if he's going to be, but he will certainly be a guy in Canton at some point. Oh, always fascinating, right? Like when you hear a stat like this, it's like 30 sacks, you go, what do we talk? So like, why, how, how is he coming into camp as an undrafted free agent to see what he can do? Right? Like there's always this disconnect on certain, on some amount of players coming out of the draft. It's even like Darian Beavers falling, right? You just turn around and you go. Well, I just don't get it. Like everything, everything says that they should be a valuable player at the NFL level. Yet maybe the Giants get a bit of a steal. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he. The New York Post wrote an article about him too, just talking about his journey. You know, he's six three two. I think he's like two fifty. Um, for for a linebacker that's you know middle, you know, average certainly size and weight. I think he ran a four six five forty. So he's got he's a little bit of quickness, but he's right? not. Yeah, he's not like top line speed fast. Uh, I just find it fascinating. You're right. It's like he put up all these stats and he's next to other guys that, that were successful in the NFL. You're like, well, why isn't that translating? And that really goes to show like scouts care about certain metrics and certain traits and characteristics, not necessarily all about the production on the field. And, and I, you know, I, I want to switch gears a little bit talking about production on the field. The one guy that apparently has stood out to everyone that's been there has been Daniel Bellinger on the offensive side of the ball, because he really didn't have the oh, stats. Okay. You, went to, you went with a different name. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, because the reason why I say that is because 
you know, when he was drafted, they're like, oh, he's a great blocker. He's a big guy. He's super athletic. And we'll see how his pass catch skills, you know, will, will translate in the NFL. He gets out there and people are like, look at that man. He is a physical specimen. They're like, he is NFL ready from a body perspective today. And they said he was trying, you know, making some one handed grabs and he's up in the air, high pointing the ball. If he ends up being what everyone is already seeing from a, from a talent perspective, he could be really a big steal in the draft and really change what the tight end room looks for looks for the Giants week one. Oddly enough, because we, I, it's a great I didn't cover with uh, Walter football just because it was you know so many other positions and tight ends not the sexiest thing in the world. He got a good grade inside of that draft class, and I think to your point, it's like when we when we talked about him on draft night. We said, well, okay, he can do X, Y, Z first. This is going to be his primary. And then the pass catching was, though, by all accounts, something he could develop and grow into, right? He can grow into that role. He felt a bit like, to me, the the typical New York football giant tight end of, of the past years outside of Evan Ingram being kind of the outlier, right? Like, this guy is big. He's not the quickest, but he does enough, right? Like, he does enough. And I don't mean that as a negative. Like, he does enough in space. He does enough to get open over the middle of the field. And... He's a real, if he can be reliable in his pass catching, then that's all that you're asking for inside of what looks like is going to be this kind of expansive offensive system. So no, most reports are saying like expect him. And this wasn't just off the mini camp, but I think the sense was coming out of the draft. Obviously with you only have two veterans ahead of him, They think that he can be there pushing someone for that number two spot pushing to contribute early. So it doesn't even, I, I think in some ways what you may see as we get towards the regular season is, yeah, everyone's getting reps, right? Situational football. Let's get this kid in here. Let's get the veteran in. Let's go with Seals Jones, right? And at some point along the way, I won't be shocked if you turn around and you go, oh, did you notice how Bellinger had X number of reps? He had 30% of the reps in week two. Then by week five, well, oh, he got 40, you know, 40%. And by the time we get to the midway point of the season, you'd like to think that he's going to be one of the bigger contributors and the more consistent ones because it just means that you're moving in the right direction at that position, getting that new player in there. The other one then um, quickly would be, because I, I thought you were going to go with this guy. It comes off of, um, this comes again back from Coach Dable talking about, and it's it's nothing, it's not overhype, it's just a little tidbit. And that is, Athletic got some quick twitch, had a pretty good day yesterday, and stood out a little bit. That's Dable speaking about, of course, Ja'Shawn uh, Corbin, the undrafted free agent running back that, we, and we talked about it, the two biggest home run hits at the collegiate level was by this man right here. Um, I think Dable did a both. He did like, he did both sides of it, right? He's like, kid, show me something. I like it. And he goes a little bit, you know what I mean? Like a kind of like, and now let's temper this expectation here. Uh, we said it when we said it when they got him as an undrafted free agent, you look at the, the running back room right now. I expect him to be, he's, he's already, he's the number three running back here. He's in the room with Saquon Barkley, with Matt Breida. And again, we talked about the other day, expectations. I don't know if I did this on the live stream or not. Expectations for Saquon Barkley. I think that Corbin actually becomes more important when you look at these three players in that backfield and who's going to be tasked with maybe doing a little bit more of the grunt work so the other two guys can kind of, you know, use use their skill, use their athleticism, and be effective, we say, maybe even more so in the passing game than the run. So, uh, as you know, when we talk about all the undrafted free agents, Jay Sean Corbin was my number one. Like, he has a legit shot to make this roster, especially because they didn't go out and, and make too many big, high-impact mm -hmm. signings. You know, they signed Matt Breida as a nice veteran backup. You know, they, they got Antonio Williams um, right after the season ended off the practice squad, basically, at Buffalo. 
But Jayshon Corbin has a chance to make this roster day one. And I, I, I truly believe that. What, what, I, what I find interesting is they're still giving Antonio Williams the first. There's no first team yeah. or second team reps, but he's still the first one out there. A lot of it had to do with like Jayshon finishing up his contract situation and, and getting himself yeah, one of the last into, people in, yeah. in, into, the, into the building. He was one of the last to be able to sign as an undrafted free agent. But Adam, you know, we we highlighted, you, you mentioned, the, the two longest runs in the ACC last year were by Jay Sean Corbin. He has that electric ability. That You know, the story about having that terrible hamstring injury at Texas A&M before he transferred over to Florida State, I think it was a Dan Duggan or, or one of the other Giants beat reporters, uh, maybe for The Athletic, talked about how the hamstring actually literally ripped off the bone. Like, that's how bad it was. It wasn't just a regular tear or a sprain. Yeah. Like, it was like... You got to shut it down. You can barely even walk for like a a certain period of time. And for him to come back, you know, that injury is the reason why he kind of got dinged along the way. But man, talk about an area of need for the Giants. I I do think he's going to be in a battle with Antonio Williams to be able to grab that spot. But he brings such a unique dimension to to that running back room that if he keeps doing and impressing Dayball the way that we think he can, he could be on this roster week one. Oh, I'm telling you right now, if he's healthy, he, he's he's the third running back. Like I, I have I have absolutely no misgivings mm. about it. You know, good for Williams. Happy that he's here. Maybe he's on. Maybe he's, they're not going to carry four running backs. I don't think like it is Corbin's job to lose to me at this point immediately coming to camp because Williams is not was not the same prospect coming out. Gary Brightwell was not the same prospect coming out. If not for the injury, who knows where he would have gone? And this is one of those examples of. You know, Giants said they want reliability, dependability, and that's from consistency and from a health standpoint. I think this was the old. And if we get a guy like this, who's coming off of a big injury like that, but we're getting him as an undrafted free agent, well, that's value meeting need here. And I'll be really curious to see as training camp really gets underway, we get the full teams in there, what Corbin looks like and hopefully showing that he's healthy. Last thing that you go ahead. I was just going to say one thing about the undrafted free agents. So we we've highlighted them over the last week, Adam, and we've been talking about some of these different names. You know, Tom and Fox was one we just mentioned. Jay Sean Corbin is, is another one here. And, and people may say, Andy, these are the back of the roster. You know, they're bringing 90 guys in. These guys are never going to see the light of day. Let's just remind some Giant fans that there are other undrafted free agents that became key contributors on Giant rosters. Guys that are household names that you're like, oh, I thought he was drafted. Like, for instance, Chase Blackburn, linebacker mm-hmm. out of Akron many years ago was undrafted, came in and contributed on special teams and at the linebacking position, was a fan favorite. You know, look at long snapper, special teamer, right? Like it it ended up carving out a consistent and long-term role for the team. Yes. Everyone knows Victor Cruz. I don't need to go into it out of of UMass, but there's so many others. You talk about the big body tight end, um, you know, Jake Ballard, another guy out out of, out of Ohio state. You look at uh, Henry Hynoski, right? Mm -hmm. The, the, the Rhino. These are all Spencer passenger. These are guys that you remember the name. They contributed key for, you know, six to eight games. Romeo Orquara, the defensive end that, that came in and I think he had like three sacks in one game. These are guys that can come in and contribute. And there's a reason why we're highlighting them because don't be surprised if one or two of these guys ends up carving out that role for a year where you're like, man, that guy was undrafted. Like he's, he's showing up, uh, you know, past some of the guys that were drafted 150 picks in front of him. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point too, right? Like, it's like you can be some of these guys, I think, can be long term contributors to this team, even as undrafted free agents. But other guys, it can just be to your point, maybe you're here for the year and maybe there's a little injury to somebody and someone needs to step up, right? Maybe Tay Crowder is going to be used in a certain way inside of this defensive scheme in the short term, but he goes down potentially or misses a game or two. And one of these young players gets to step in just for a game. 
And sometimes it's the mystery of what that player is that allows them to be productive when other teams don't prepare for them. But they, yeah, like these are these are all guys. I, the Yusuf Corker, I think, is going to be a name you're going to hear mentioned during the year at some point. Doesn't mean that I think he's going to get 80% of the reps at safety and become a next Pro Bowler for the Giants. But can he come in against certain opponents when their offensive scheme dictates we'd like to carry an extra safety this week? We're not as worried about having another slot corner or nickel cornerback here. This is what I want to do, Wink Martindale in my system, right? So it'll be really fun to watch for that, and it's a, it's a good reminder that these players do exist. Let's get out the door here then, though, on the Giants' schedule and what uh, Vegas says about this because you found an interesting thing. Um, the strength of schedule by generic standards would put the Giants um, as the 29th strength of schedule at 465 win percentage based off of the team's win percentage that they have on their schedule this year from the previous season. But as we know, basing it off of a team, it's like with the Giants, right? Are we optimistic about the Giants having a better year? Yes. So that means that they won't have four wins again, which means every team that plays them, you'd say that percentage is going to go up. It's going to get harder. It's going to be more difficult. And you found probably if, we're, if we want to take a little wind out of the sails here in the offseason, a disturbing stat, which talks about the projected win totals for the teams on the Giants schedule and where that ranks. Well, so to frame this out as the last thing that I wanted to talk about. So the reason why it doesn't make sense to just say, oh, what's what's the Giants strength of schedule off of how the team did last year? Like Russell Wilson isn't with the Seattle Seahawks, right? Sure. Like he's now with the Denver Broncos. Would you say that those teams are drastically different than how they ended the season last year? I would say yes. Ben Roethlisberger is no longer in Pittsburgh. It's either Mitch Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. Will that team look differently? Maybe. Look at the Saints with Jameis Winston. He got hurt. You know, they had a winning record when, when he got hurt. And then it was a mix of Trevor Simeon, Taysom right. Hill, and, and whomever. And so, you know, look at the Atlanta Falcons. You know, it's Marcus Mariota. You look at the Colts. It's now Matt Ryan. There's so many different shifts. And I'm just talking about a handful of quarterbacks here that really you'd say, well, it, how indicative is the strength of schedule from what they did last year? So um, Sharp Football Analytics did a really good job of saying, let's take the win totals that teams are projected for this upcoming season, because that's probably a better barometer of what mm -hmm. the strength of the schedule would be for the Giants. Going into it, how do these teams look that they're going to be facing? And the Giants, far and away, have the easiest schedule in the entire NFL in terms of the teams that they're playing in the projected wins. The Kansas City Chiefs are like off the map in the most difficult, like humanly possible. And if you look at their, their schedule, it's like murderer's row. And the crazy thing for the Chiefs is like they don't have to play themselves, yet they have the hardest schedule of, of anyone in the league. But the Giants, Adam, and this is why this is this is getting quite interesting for the Giants as you get closer and closer and probably you'll get more excitement is the Giants are playing some really, really easy teams and the Giants are going to find out pretty quickly. Like they're playing the lions. They're playing the Texans. They're playing the Carolina Panthers. They're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's a lot of teams on, on that list that most people consider bottom five to seven teams in the NFL. And you're going to find out where the Giants, you know, kind of sit. And, and the, uh, let me give you the, the last thing. So yeah. even with all this, Vegas is projecting the Giants to get 7.1 wins this season. The over-under is at 7.5 because if they put it at 7, everyone will just hit the over on that. So right. the Giants are still sitting around that 7, 7.5 that we talked about before. Does hearing how Vegas is doing the advanced like, look forward strength of schedule, does that change anything for you in, in, in the outlook for the Giants? No. Because it, it's still, like you know what I mean, and I'll put it as at the end of the day, 
it still comes down to what are the Giants, right? Like you mentioned them, rightfully so. Teams that are, quote, bad, right? Detroit and Jacksonville and Houston. Like, okay, but Houston thinks they found their franchise quarterback in Davis Mills. And yeah, Jacksonville was bad, but they have Peterson now as their head coach. And it's not, you know, it's not Urban Meyer anymore. That's going to look a lot different. They brought in Evan Neal. They brought in Christian Kirk, right? Like that team is going to be different than they were the year prior. It doesn't mean that they're going to be, you know, nine win teams, but they're going to be potentially better. I think Detroit is moving in a better direction. And by the way, other teams that you think are stronger, maybe are going to be a little bit worse, right? But there's none of these, none of these teams you can point at and then look back at the Giants and go, and the Giants are in a significantly better spot. They're all in the same boat, whether it's new coaching staff, whether it's new, you know, new personnel, whether it's a lot of roster turnover, like all of those things are things that you look right back at the Giants. So a great example would be um, Chicago, right? Well, you know, new coaching staff, young quarterback still, they have a lot of new things to figure out, right? Just like the Giants do on both sides of the football, right? So I, again, we've talked about this before. I, I, we, we do discuss wins and losses and Vegas projections and all that kind of stuff. And also I just want to see that the team is growing and getting better. I want to see that some of these young players look like they're going to be big contributors and cornerstone pieces for the giants franchise. Like that's step. Number one, do I, can, can I take some, a little bit of excitement around what they can do that you have two ends of the spectrum telling you that it's easy. Yes. And also, we know there's always three or four teams that surprise each and every year. The question becomes, are the Giants the team that's surprising, or is it two or three teams on their schedule that all of a sudden makes things look a little bit more difficult? Yeah, there was a couple of OGP listeners that, you know, we hit we hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you to all the OGP listeners that, that, are, that are tuning in and listening yeah. to us two fools talk about the Giants. But I, the, the, the simple thing for me, Adam, that they were saying is we do kind of try to get ourselves away from the wins and losses because – I don't know. I, I, I'm not as concerned about the number of wins that the Giants finish with this upcoming season. I think you and I are both kind of in the same boat of like, show me what progress looks like because we've been going backwards for half a decade. Show me progress. Be competitive. Show that the players that you brought in can be contributors on a roster a year or two from now when we are competitive and looking to make the playoffs or win the division or go on a deep run in the playoffs. And if that, if we're setting ourselves up this year, does it matter if it's 7.1 wins or 6.2 or 8.3? Like none of that really matters to either of us. And by, and by the way, it's like Joe Shane, right? I, I, I believe in what you've done here in the draft and in free agency, but now I want it to be proven, right? Brian Dable, like we're all very excited about him, but this is your first time being a head coach, right? Like, so there's boxes to be checked from top to bottom here. We're excited about it. We are optimistic about it, but it just seems like a fool's errand to go, well, Vegas told me that the New York football giants are, you know, well in line to get eight, nine, who knows, maybe 10 wins friends, right? Because it only sets you up potentially for a disaster. And every single week that we see progress is another week that will move the needle in that direction of thinking this team is one step closer to being competitive in the NFL. That's the goal friends be competitive. As Andy just said, we cleared a thousand subscribers on YouTube. It means it means everything because we've been grinding at this for three seasons, over three seasons. It, we love doing it. It's awesome. We love having the conversations. Either way, we were going to be having the conversations around the Giants, but it's really awesome to see everyone commenting and interacting. We want to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing more live streams because everyone likes to get in there and just kind of throw out their thoughts and have that little back and forth, which we absolutely love to do as well. So thank you. Could not be more appreciative of it. Keep supporting us. We're going to keep doing the big blue content. 
Uh, follow us on, you know, subscribe, get the channel, get the podcast review. Those needs fulfilled. We don't do a lot of that kind of promotion stuff either. But until next time, friends, as we work our way and we'll update next episode, the schedule, the big dates that are coming up for Big Blue, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.